does good forever guys hit the follow subscribe button share this with someone who would benefit from it and help us grow as the more we grow the better the episodes we'll get thanks guys for helping us and let's get into the episode and he's here he is here cristiano has entered the building Welcome back to this episode of Sculptor Podcast. In today's episode, we are talking all about emotions and how you can regulate them. What I mean by that? Um, it's regulating emotions is observing emotions for nothing more than what they are. And what they are is an accumulation of feelings, sensations, sometimes hormones, sometimes inclinations, sometimes patterns. But observing them for their rawest form. This is a lot of information. I think I have 20 pages here. I'll quickly show you all of the information that I've got. Oh my gosh. I think I might actually have to do two parts to this. I'm not even kidding. That's so much more than I realized. This took me so long to plan as well. Okay. We're just going to get straight into this. Um, the nature of emotions. What are emotions? Emotions are complex, subjective, and often brief psychological experiences that arise in response to specific situations, events, or thoughts. They play a crucial role in human behavior and are fundamental aspects of our mental and physical lives. A closer look into the nature of emotions. Subjectivity, right? Emotions are highly subjective, which means they are a personal and unique experience to each individual. My emotions and your emotions will be completely different and will be subjugated and be initiated in a completely different way. What might evoke a strong emotion in one person may have a different impact on another. Multifaceted. Emotions are multifaceted, which encompasses a range of feelings that can be positive, negative, or neutral. Common emotions include happiness, sadness, anger, fear, surprise, disgust. Psychological response. Now, this is this is the thing that we have control over. Okay, emotions often trigger psychological responses in the body. For example, feeling fear can lead to an increased heart rate and sweating, while happiness might result in a relaxed and content state. Okay. Clearing this up. What you immediately attach to a sensation or emotion dictates your action from there. For example, if I'm feeling nervous, my heart rate elevates, my brain goes and I have a heightened awareness because I am nervous. Now, interestingly enough, these same things that I explained to you, the heart rate going up, the heightened sense of awareness, and 
the um the brain blah, blah, blah. these same sensations and triggers i guess no these same sensations and reactions um physically happen with other emotions okay for example happiness or um joy or excitement now happiness get rid of that was a bad example that said happiness or something else but excitement and nerves two different uh psychological terminology physically the same reaction what i mean by this is if i was to get a baby from a young age and not teach them the words nerves anxiety excitement uh all these different words explaining the sensation if i was to then explain to them and put them in situations where they felt those emotions but i never told them the names of what those emotions were theoretically if they weren't aware enough to to, to realize that the nerves typically happen in situations of uncomfortability but perceived uncomfortability right or perceived excitability theoretically a ignorant enough individual would be able to identify these are the same things okay now that comes with a lot of ignorance and the reason why us humans immediately start attaching nerves to all different facets of our life so when we're putting in, in uncomfortable situations it's because we are hyper aware most of us and we are typically part of a recognition machines so for example if i feel nerves every time i'm put in an uncomfortable situation although i may not be able to identify where that uncomfortable situation came from naturally because of pattern recognition my body automatically reacts in a specific way i might not be thinking i'm nervous but my body uh physically reacts and mentally reacts as if i was nervous okay now nerves aren't a bad thing nerves aren't a good thing necessarily excitement isn't a good thing excitement isn't a bad thing necessarily they are feelings sensations and at their uh, most common form that we know them emotions I'm not going to go too much more into that because I'm going to go into it later. So that's the psychological response. Expressive emotions. So expressive. Emotions are expressed through various non-verbal cues such as facial expressions, body language, and tone of voice. These expressions help communicate our emotional state to others. Brief duration. Emotions are typically short-lived experiences. They come and go relatively quickly, especially when they are intense. However, prolonged emotional states can occur in certain situations such as grief or chronic stress. Adaptive function, sorry, adaptive function. Emotions serve an adaptive function by helping us respond to our environment. For example, fear can trigger a fight or flight response, preparing the body to react to a threat. Influence on behavior. Emotions significantly influence our behavior and decision making. They can motivate us to take action, avoid certain situations, or seek out rewarding experiences. Social and cultural influence. Emotions are influenced by social and cultural factors. What is considered an appropriate emotional response can vary across different cultures and contexts. Okay, gosh, this is going to get into a deep one. But this is, I'm digging up this route all right now. All right. I guess we'll go into... So, if I was to put someone in front of 90,000 people, you know, hypothetically, 
on the path. Yeah. Wonder where that happened in the world. Football. If I was to put you in front of 90,000 people right now and you were to feel nervous, you probably should, right? But if you grew up in a tribe of 90,000 people every single day where you were embarrassing yourself or putting yourself in uncomfortable situations, or maybe you were demonized for feeling that emotion and then you were put in that uh, same state where that person who was feeling that uh, nerve was feeling, for example. So we've got the two different parties, the two, the two different cultural structures, the two different values um, and situations and upbringings and nature versus nurture, all of that. If you were to put those two people and switch their positions, the person who was experienced to it or valued it differently to the person who values it in their own way and switching them, then the person who was exposed to it or was ignorant enough or culturally centralized to it, that's not the best word, they were in that environment or they were they didn't value it as much, then their emotional state and this guy's emotional state are two completely different things. So our emotions can be dictated through social and cultural influence. Now, this is the whole thing about social proofing, what I talked about with passion, right? We're so subjective creatures. We're so, oh, it's so deep, right? It's everything which has happened up to my life has shaped the person that I am. It's shaped the tone that I speak with. For example, the reason why we have dialects, the reason why we have accents, it's not because the water is different here. It's because of the nature and the nurture that I was brought up in. The reason why I go to England and they have a different tone isn't because, you know, they're in the Northern Hemisphere. It's because that's how they do it there. It's the cultural and social influence, okay? When you go to Saudi Arabia, the reason why they're speaking a different language isn't because they've got sand there. It's a lot. Believe it or not, there's sand in Australia. I don't speak Arabic, but... So it's not because they're sand there. It's because of the social and cultural influence. That's such a bizarre concept, and people who think of it on a very surface level probably won't understand it fully. Now, I can't say I have the best understanding uh, of it, or I think I have a reasonably good understanding. Complexity. Emotions are not one-dimensioned, but rather a complex interplay of cognitive, psychological, and behavioral components. They involve thoughts, feelings, and actions. Okay. The impulse reactor versus the controlled response. Firstly, impulse. Okay. What is impulse? Now, this even goes on to the... Um, actually, well, this is perfect for the... You are a computer. So, if you want to start reprogramming the way that you react to emotions, this is how you do it. Okay? So, the impulse reactor versus the controlled response. Starting off with impulse. Impulse reactors are individuals who tend to act quickly and without much thought in response to their emotions. When they experience strong emotions, they often let these feelings guide their behavior. Sorry, I got hiccups. Key characteristics of impulse reactors include quick reactions, not in terms of, you know, the blaze pods out of the desk like I do, Quick reactions, they respond immediately to their emotion, their emotional impulses, often without consideration for consequences. Impulse actions, 
they may engage in actions or behaviors driven by their emotions, which can sometimes lead to the regrets. Less control. They have difficulty controlling their emotional reactions and may act on intense emotions without restraint. Emotion-driven decisions. Their decisions are often heavily influenced by their current emotional state, which can be problematic in situations requiring rational judgment. So the impulse person, dependent on their uh, environment, can often be the most... Uh, if you, it's, it's so subjective here. I'm really... This is, I can't really say in, in a, in a non-controversial way, but someone, the least successful person in the room probably is impulsive. I'm sorry. Um, it makes sense though, right? If you're letting a feeling dictate your response, I mean, I'm thinking of an analogy. No, I have an analogy actually. That's just that's just what it is. Quick reactions, impulse actions, less control, emotion-driven decisions. People who are the least successful typically. I'm not even talking about money. I'm just talking about successful in terms of if you were to think of success in terms of happiness, even they're not going to be the happiest people in the room. Now, I don't judge success as happiness, but if you do, they're not going to be there, right? If you're if you're letting your emotions dictate your actions, then if your sole uh, subjectivity of success is happiness, then those people aren't going to be there either, which I, I think may be a common um, rhetoric for most people would be that happiness is one of the most... Um, money and happiness are typically the most uh, direct indicators of success to people. So if those are the most two, then the impulsive person is never going to be there. If you're on a deeper level, if you're someone like me who doesn't value success with money or um with happiness maybe it's your relationship with god or maybe it's your relationship with the people around you whatever it is that's that's like what it is for me then that person's nowhere near that because an impulsive person doesn't let their emotions dictate their actions if i think about it in a christian way if i was to be angry every single time someone did wrong by me i mean think about how jesus was in now i don't know if many of you are scholars of the bible and i'm far from it but when i think about when jesus was healing people when jesus was you know provoked when he was put in front of people for example there's a story where where jesus was um put in front of someone who had just committed adultery now, if you know the Old Testament, adultery, people who commit adultery would be stoned to death. Now, Jesus in front of this person, off raw emotion, would stone them to death. But what does he do? He doesn't let his emotion dictate his actions. He lets, he, he sees his emotions for being nothing more than emotions and actually takes a very, very rounded approach to dealing with that person. And... You might be thinking, oh, religion, whatever. Hear me out. Jesus is a prime example for not letting emotions dictate an action. Now, there are, there are uh, stories in the Bible where Jesus did have impulsive reactions. There's a, there's a story about Jesus in the church um, when all of, the, I think it was on the Sabbath, um, he healed a, a blind person, I think. And oh, maybe I'm getting two stories mixed up, but 
the the moral of this story, for example, is the that Jesus had moments of impulsivity where he let his emotions dictate his actions, and, and he got angry, right? He got angry at specific things, but to the point, right? We're all we're all humans, and Jesus was a human himself. Um, but what what I'm just trying to get with this is that people who are are controlled responders, which is this over here. I've got the impulse and the uncontrolled for context because you can't say it. But these people who are impulsive, typically that's their downfall. Okay. The controlled responders. Controlled responders, on the other hand, are individuals who manage their emotions with more deliberate and measured approaches. They aim to control their emotional reactions and think before they act. Key characteristics of controlled responders include emotional regulation, they have developed effective strategies for regulating their emotions, even in challenging situations. Thoughtful responses. They take time to consider their best course of action, weighing the pros and cons before making decisions. Self-control. They can resist impulses, actions driven by strong emotions and maintain composure. Adaptive coping. They use adaptive coping mechanisms to deal with emotional challenges such as deep breathing, mindfulness, or seeking support. Two things. Okay. On the impulsive... Something that helped me start to regulate my emotions was realizing that the actions of that I do have consequence, which then led to regret. What regret does is that you start to um, reverse engineer where that regret comes from, and you start to realize that the actions that led you there were driven by impulse. Uh, impulse. Im impulse. The actions that led you there were driven by impulse. If you understand that, great. If you don't, you're probably impulsive. Um, now, the other thing was self-control. Now, I was talking about Jesus. And something that's interesting in the Bible is that one of the main fruits of the Spirit is self-control. So when I was talking about Jesus being uh, a very controlled responder in that term, now I didn't say that directly, but because I hadn't addressed controlled responders yet. But self-control is a very, very key and central part of uh, biblical teaching and what I just encompassed there with Jesus is that he had brilliant self-control with emotions and I think that's when we talk about success happiness whatever whatever metric you judge success by I think that the controlled responders have the highest level of success okay analogies so I've talked about how my analogies are better when I plan them we've got the traffic jam analogy imagine you're stuck in a frustrating traffic jam during your morning commute, an impulse reactor would do the following. They might honk their horn. Uh, and yeah, they may honk their horn incessantly, change lanes impulsively without signaling and possibly even engage in road rage. Their, emoji, their emotions drive their actions, resulting in a stressful and potentially dangerous situation. A controlled responder... Um, a control responder, on the other hand, takes a deep breath, stays patient, and follows the traffic rules. They might use this as a time to listen to an interesting podcast or make a relaxing phone call, turning a negative situation into an opportunity for personal growth or uh, other or other stress reduction activities. Now, I didn't really like this analogy um, when I thought of it, so I do have another one here. But what this is saying is that the person who was an impulsive reactor has been, they've put themselves in a worse situation and they've made they've made a meal out of it. 
Now, someone who doesn't understand what making a meal out of it is, is making a meal out of a situation is making the situation even harder or worse than you entered it in. The controlled responder made the, made the most out of that situation. Now, maybe they weren't happy that they got themselves in that situation in the first place, but now that they have, they have tried to deal with it as best as they can. Other analogy. So, suppose you receive negative feedback from your supervisor at work, your boss, whatever. The impulsive reactor might become defensive, arguing with their supervisor, boss, or whatever, and even making counterproductive remarks. They let their emotions take over, potentially damaging their reputation. That could further lead to further repercussions. They get fired, they don't get paid as much, they may not get the raise. Whatever it is, they've made a meal out of the situation. Okay. The impulsive reactor didn't take in the accountability. They didn't take in the awareness of the other person's position. They didn't even take into accountability of how they could be damaging their reputation. After this impulse, they have a regret most likely, unless they had that big of an ego. And when you have that big of an ego, you get checked that much. Soon enough, you will have to be humbled and you will get humbled. A controlled responder listens carefully, acknowledges the feedback and asks for clarification if needed. They take the time to reflect on the criticism, learn from it, and respond professionally, demonstrating emotional intelligence and committed and commitment to growth. They then, in the future, may even get further repercussions for that in a positive way. They may then be promoted because of their way of dealing with it. They may not have that negative thing or the negative experience of which happened to the impulse reactor. So they've made the best out of the situation, even though they felt like the impulse reactor felt it but the thing is right is you feel the same emotion you feel the impulse reactor and the controlled responder they feel the same emotion right they feel the same emotion it's just that the impulse reactor when that wire when that um trigger gets sent through their brains it's like a wire right i talked about it in the reprogram your brain podcast when that uh input gets sent through your brain the impulse reactor, it's a, it's a, it's not, it's not DHL, it's not DHL, it's a Amazon Prime, you know, one to two days shipping, it's instant, instant shipping, DHL, you know, maybe a week, maybe it never gets there. The controlled responder regulates it, they understand it, okay, they take into account all things. So, there's the difference. All right. Now, you heard me mention emotional intelligence on the controlled responder's last point. Now, you may be thinking what emotional intelligence is. Now, defining EQ, emotional intelligence or EQ refers to the ability to recognize, understand, manage, and effectively use one's own emotions and the emotions of others. It compromises of several components, including self-awareness, self-regulation, empathy, social skills, and uh, motivations behind actions. Not motivation. I hate that word. Motivation behind actions. Now, I've talked about emotion before. I'm oh, sorry, motivation before. Uh, motivation in this term isn't talking about the third-party motivation that hates you like a, like a ghost. I'm talking about motivation being the reasoning for an action. Okay. EQ and emotional control. Emotional emotional control is a crucial aspect of an emotional intelligent person. 
It involves the ability to manage one's emotions in a way that aligns with personal and social goals. EQ relates to the emotional control as individuals with high IQ are better equipped to regulate their emotional responses. They can identify and understand their emotions, making it easier to control their impulsive reactions. The benefits of a person with a high IQ in life would be improved relationships. People with high IQ, uh, EQ tend to have healthier and more harmonious relationships due to the empathy and effective communication. Better mental health and strength. Now, I hate the word mental health, but um, in, <laughs> that would be controversial. Um, I hate the word mental health because it's a cliche. I don't disagree with mental health in its principle, just like I don't disagree with motivation in its principle. But the stigma of mental health, I hate. I just hate that. If anyone ever talks about mental health, I'm the first one to talk about, um, like, well, I'm not the first one to talk about something else, but I'm, I'm the first one to just talk about it in a very different way. I think when people talk about mental health, they don't even know what they're talking about. People say, oh, you're to look after your mental health. Oh, yeah, take the week off. That'll do it. Yeah. That's not the way. <laughs> wow, that's an episode. What is mental health? Cracker. That would be a cracker of a video. Gosh. All right. Better mental health. Research shows. I'm sorry. Better mental strength. Better mental fortitude. Whatever it is. However I figure out the better way of saying it. I honestly don't even have a better way of saying mental health. That's that's one problem in my end. Anyways. Research shows that individual with strong EQ experienced lower stress levels, anxiety, or depression. Conflict resolution. High EQ individuals excel in resolving conflicts peacefully and finding mutually agreeable solutions. Benefits of um, a high EQ person in a professional life would be leadership skills. High EQ people often associated with uh, effective leadership roles and that enables leaders to understand and motivate their teams. Now, if you listened to the last episode of the Relentless series, which was chapter nine, you would have been hearing me talking about leaders and uh, distribution of a leader's role. Now, someone who can admit that someone is doing a better job than them or maybe they're in a better position to execute their role would then uh, delegate and diversify their leadership roles into another aspect, and that's what EQ is. So enhanced decision-making, EQ helps in making well-informed decisions by considering both emotional and rational aspects. Adaptability, EQ is linked to adaptability and resilience, allowing individuals to cope with change and adversity more effectively. Workplace relationships, employees with high EQ tend to collaborate better with colleagues, leading to improved teamwork and productivity. And so the professional EQ aspect is essentially just, it's a better experience and it's because of control, it's because of awareness, it's because of understanding other people's positions. I think that us humans, man, we're difficult, we're difficult to understand, but when you're able to put yourself in other people's shoes, something that I think, I think my dad actually really helped me develop um, my EQ. Now, I could say I think my EQ is really high. Now, I do think that, but also me saying that completely discredits that. So I'll say my EQ is really, really low. Oh, my EQ is so low. Um, but I think if I did an EQ test, I'd be pretty high. But again, me saying that would be counteractive. So I'm going to say my EQ is really low for the sake of it. Anyways, again, humans are so weird. Um, so I've got some findings for you. Some research on EQ. A study published in the Journal of Applied Psychology found that emotional intelligence is a strong predictor of job performance, especially in roles requiring emotional labor or social skills, so interactions, things like that. Uh, yeah, 
it makes sense. I mean, if you're able to put yourself in someone other someone else's shoes, you're able to understand where they may come from. Oh, well, my point was, my dad helped me. He always would talk about like kids in Africa, and I'd be thinking, oh hell, oh, gosh, imagine if I was like, I am so privileged. I'm so privileged. Like when I think about how lucky am I that I was born in Australia. Imagine I was dealt the card of, of being in Africa where I was in an under underprivileged country where the odds are against me to get out. It's so much harder for me. It's so much more difficult. So when I'm thinking about things like that, I'm thinking about, wow, I'm grateful that I've got food on my plate today. That's crazy. When have I ever thought that in my life? I've never even been thankful for the food in front of me. That's crazy. Now the people who have that, they're thankful for a bite of an apple. That's wild to me, right? Someone with a low EQ would never think like that. Gosh, that made me sound like a very egotistical person just then, actually. Um, forget that. I never said that. But take a lesson, though. Research conducted by Yale University suggests that individuals with high EQ have more successful and fulfilling personal lives, including better relationships and improved mental health. A study in the Harvard Business Review reported that leaders with high EQ are more likely to create positive work environments and have employees who are more engaged and satisfied. Developing EQ and emotional control. Now, not easy. Not easy. Strategies and practices for enhancing emotional intelligence and emotional control could be mindfulness, reflection, empathy, Highlighting the importance of continuous self-improvement in these areas for personal and professional growth. Okay. Practical tips for you. Practice mindfulness meditation. Okay. Mindfulness meditation involves paying focused attention to your thoughts, your emotions, and bodily sensations without judgment. That's the key. Without judgment. I gave you the... It's not an analogy. I gave you the information on how, for example, the same sensations, emotions, and reactors that you have with nerves, anxiety, and excitement, they're all the same. It's just the way that you phrase it or um, frame it. It's the way that you frame it. So the way that you frame a nervous situation and an exciting situation is your perception of the things around you, right? So if I was to say, if I was to convince you that the 90,000 people in front of you means nothing, they're, they're not there, it's not important, they're just there, they're just there, that's it. At their rawest form, they're just there. And we get you to a point where you're just seeing the people for being people and there's no strings attached or anything like that. Then you could get to a place where, okay, you don't even get excited that it's just normal. Now, what I've done is I've helped myself uh, recalibrate my brain so that if I was in that situation, I don't see those people for being anything other than what they are. I'm just seeing that for being what it is. I'm not saying that I'm excited. I'm not saying that I'm nervous. I'm just seeing that for what it is. Oh, brilliantly said, Nick. All right. Actually, that may have been badly said. I don't know. I thought that was well, 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 well constructed. It's definitely better than previous things. All right. Dedicate a few. That was EQ just there, if you didn't realize. Um, dedicate a few minutes each day to mindfulness meditation. Start with short sessions and gradually extend the duration. Now, one mindfulness practice that I really like to do is, um, okay, light, iPad, computer, cracked phone, focates, AirPods, another phone, GoPro. Now, what I've done there is I've looked at those same things, but I haven't put 
a um, name to them. If you're able to get to a point where you truly look at something and you're not actually thinking, doing it right now, this is a really difficult iPad. Try it. Um, it's a technique that's difficult. I, I do it a lot when I'm driving, for example. Not when I'm driving. Uh, that's maybe a little bit dangerous, but when I'm in the passenger seat, you've got a lot of things going past you um, and you're looking at the sign and you, you say sign, speed limit, whatever you see, you point, point, take it in, take it in. And then you do that for one minute, then boom. You're just seeing things with being fit. You're looking, you're looking. You're not attaching anything to it. And then as soon as you see a sign, you say sign. Restart. Start pointing things out. Start pointing things out. Then back in. Looking at, looking at, looking, 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 looking. Not attaching anything, not attaching anything. Seeing it for what it is, what it is, what it is, what it is. Ah, damn it. 60 side, restart, 60, 60, 60, whatever, whatever, then back in. It's, a, it's actually a fun meditation technique. Uh, mindfulness technique, that's not meditation, that's a mindfulness technique. All right, emotional control journals. Now, um, this is more, you can't do this with everything, okay? This is like, if you were to... If you were to write in your journal every single day, for example, every time that you felt happiness, that's a good way of starting. You can't be doing, you can't be writing out every single emotion in your journal and then writing down, this is when I felt sad, this is when I felt this, this is when I felt that. You just not gonna remember. So you could start with going, okay, what's an emotion that I think I need more control over? Let's say it's, I get really angry really quickly. Okay. In my journal, I'm going to write down every time that I got angry today. Now, you might not get angry too often. You might get angry very often. But having that awareness and then, as I've talked about, uh, reverse engineering where that emotion came from, then you're starting to able to create a response and be that responsive person rather than the impulsive person. Okay. Um, active listening and empathy building engage in conversations with family friends or colleagues and focus on truly listening to their thoughts and feelings ask open-ended questions to encourage them to express themselves more fully try to understand their perspectives and emotions and show empathy by acknowledging their feelings now i think also another one that kind of correlates to that a little bit is um what i said about even just the the analogy that i gave about talking about with the privilege that i have for example um like I saw myself a lot of self-awareness just through thinking about how much privilege I've got. I'm so privileged. Someone who's privileged may never think about how privileged they are. So if you're privileged or you're unprivileged, put yourself in someone's shoes who's in the opposite. Think about how they would be reacting. Think Now, this may be so irrelevant to your main goal, but this is important. You have to be thinking about this. And I think this is such a... It's such a crucial skill. Like, think about it in this way. If you're a footballer and you're that impulsive reactor, the coach is telling you off for something and your impulse reaction, even when you're wrong, is to, to rebuttal and to, um, like, counteract it. Even when you're wrong, your impulse is to do that. You're not going to get too far with that. So... Thinking of these silly things, like I've said, you may think are so far off, but they're so spot on. Emotional intelligence for footballers, for anyone who wants to be successful, it's so important. It's very important. All right. 
Delayed gratification. Delayed gratification is the ability to resist temptation of an immediate reward in favor of a larger or more valuable reward that will be received later. It's a concept tied closely to self-control and, emo and emotional regulation. Now, I'm sure you've all heard of the marshmallow test where um, it's the test conducted by a psychologist in the 1960s and it's a test where a bunch of young kids are put in a room and in front of them, they have to sit um, with a marshmallow, just like this, for 15 minutes in a room by themselves. And if they eat the marshmallow, no, they get told this by the psychologist. And if they eat the marshmallow, they get to eat the marshmallow. Done. If they sit in the room, wait the 15 minutes, and then after the 15 minutes is over, they get two marshmallows. So you know what? Okay, 15 minutes is over, now I get two marshmallows. The kids who, who wait and get the two marshmallows and waited 15 minutes for that, that's higher emotional intelligence, okay? It's better stress management. It's, um, I can read the stats here. So the study found that children who were able to delay the gratification and wait for the second marshmallow tended to have better life outcomes, crazy, by the way, including higher SAT scores, lower substance abuse rates, and better stress management skills in adulthood. So such a, I was saying how you may think it's completely irrelevant, um, but it's not. It's actually not. Right. Implications of emotional control and success. Delayed gratification is closely linked to emotional control because it involves managing the impulse from instant gratification. Individuals who can delay gratification are often better at regulating their emotions, especially when faced with frustration or impatience. This skill is essential for making well thought out decisions and resisting impulse. Emotionally driven actions. Okay, now, talking a little bit more about the power of delayed gratification, in terms of long-term success, delayed gratification is a critical factor, and here's how it relates. Goal achievement, delaying gratification often involves setting and working toward long-term goals. People who can defer immediate rewards in pursuit of their goals are more likely to achieve them. Financial success. Delayed gratification in crucial for financials, uh, is crucial for financial success. It involves saving money, investing wisely, and making decisions that prioritize future financial stability over short-term spending. So for someone who is an impulsive buyer, we all know the term impulsive. An impulsive buyer will buy things out of impulse rather than thinking about how they can save, uh, invest their money. Not save their money, but invest their money and get a higher ROI on it, right? Taking a short-term uh, sacrifice for a long-term reward, which is what the marshmallow test is, a short-term sacrifice, a 15-minute sacrifice for a long-term, a, a 2x return, essentially. Career advancements, patience and persistence in one's career are also aspects of delayed gratification. Combining the career ladder and achieving professional success often requires years of hard work and patience. Healthy relationships... In relationships, delaying gratification can mean having the patience to resolve conflicts calmly and work through challenges rather than reaching impulsively in the in the heat of the moment. Okay. That's it on um delayed gratification. Now, emotion regulation strategies. Now we've already talked about the mindfulness. Now deep breathing, cognitive reappraisal. Emotional regulation techniques, physical activity also, uh, social support, progressive muscle relaxation, which is PMR, um, 
I don't know if anyone knows about PMR. I've done it a few times, but it's like, it's like a body scan, but it's like you're tensing up your muscles. Like, for example, I am like you do a body scan of tensing up your muscles and relaxing your muscles. It's um, quite an intensive little routine. Um, I didn't enjoy it too much. I didn't find it too useful, but someone who is new to it may find it very useful. Um, if you're interested in that, I would suggest searching up PMR or like a mindfulness PMR routine. And I think, yeah, there should be quite a bit of it. Anyways, these techniques collectively allow individuals to gain better control over their emotions by enhancing emotional awareness, reducing emotional intensity, and providing practical to tools to manage and express emotions constructively. They are valuable tools for maintaining emotional well-being and responding effectively to the life's challenges. So main thing there is emotional awareness. So just being aware of your emotions. As I've said, I think that the best one for, well, maybe not the best one, but the one that helped me quite substantially was the mindfulness technique where it's pointing out seeing things for just that. If you're able to, you know, if you're able to see hunger for just being an uncomfortable feeling, I recently finished a three-day fast. It's tough, but it wasn't that tough, actually. Because when I see hunger for just being an uncomfortable feeling in my stomach, a lot more is it than an uncomfortable feeling in my stomach. So, yeah, there's a lot of different things um, with that. Now, um, emotional regulation strategies. Emotional decision-making. Impact. Emotions can cloud rational judgment and lead to impulsive or irrational decisions. Fear, anger, or excitement, for example, may drive individuals to make choices without considering long-term consequences. Emotional control for better choices. Impact. Emotional control enables individuals to consider more objective, more objectively, reducing the influence or of intense or negative emotions. Examples. Investment decisions. An investor who maintains... Emotional control during market volatility is more likely to make rational investment decisions, avoiding panic selling during market downturns. For example, you know, they see the bar going red or down or whenever it drops, someone who pulls out may never see the reward from the immediate down them and spike. Okay. That could be a bounce back very quickly. Now, I'm not a financial expert, but someone who is very impulsive may never get the reward for sticking with it. Conflict resolution. In a heated argument, maintaining emotional control allows individuals to choose constructive communication strategies instead of reacting defensively. Now, when you're impulsive, typically you don't even take into consideration the person's perspective or even your own rationality. If you're impulsive, a lot of the time that comes out of, um, let's say, ignorance, ego, attitude, all these different things without taking in the full context of the situation. If I'm telling you that you should clean your dishes up after you eat but I don't even do that myself but because I have so much ego and I am I'm not willing to accept that I do that thing myself I'm a hypocrite but through impulse I say it anyway even though I'm hypocritical okay impact of emotion driven decisions so a study Demacio's Lauer gambling cast a classic study demonstrated that individuals with damage to the emotional centers of the brain consistently made poor financial decisions. They were unable to incorporate emotional signals in their decision-making. Example, in the real life, people who make impulsive purchases during sales events may later regret these decisions, illustrating the impact of emotional buying. Which is a technique we all know. I say we all know so often. Um, maybe we don't all know it. As you may know, 
uh, emotional buying is a strategy used by a lot of major corporations. That's what sales are. That's what, um, uh, what's it called? Limited quant limited quantity. Um, I don't know what that word is, but when they purposely make a product or something seem more scarce, it drives more immediate action to it, more impulse, things like that. Um, oh, sit. No wonder. Okay. I said it because the next thing is an example of that. In real life, people who make impulsive purchases during sales events may later regret these decisions, illustrating the impact of emotional buying. Now, emotions and risk perception. Impact. Emotion. Emotions can skew the risk perception. For instance, individuals in a state of fear may overestimate risks leading to avoidance behaviors. Example, in the context of finance, fear-driven decisions during a recession can lead to the example of pre-amateur withdrawal of investments resulting in substantial financial losses. Why do I... Yeah, I keep on doing financial ones, but I'm not even the best of finance. But, um, right. Emotion regulation strategies. Positive emotions and decision-making. Impact. Positive emotions such as joy or gratitude can enhance creativity and problem-solving abilities. Example, a person in a positive emotional state may be more inclined to explore innovation, in innovative solutions to work, to a work-related challenge. Someone who is uh, not an impulse person, who thinks with rationale, things in perspective in all these different ways they will get the best solution or they can at least try to get the best solution someone who's impulsive there's just so much ego ignorance all these different things and that's just blocking them from getting to where the best result is laziness even now eq high emotional intelligence allows individuals to recognize and manage their emotions effectively leading to improved decision making a study published in the journal of applied psychology one of my favorites um, found that managers with higher EQs were better at making effective decisions in complex and emotion and emotionally charged situations. Okay, let's think about it. So if you're at Mackey's um, and you're working with your boss and your boss is telling you off, if your um, boss is very calm, relaxed and cool, do you think you're going to get a solution? Most likely. If your boss is very abrupt, angry, and impulsive, do you think you're going to get a solution, or do you think someone's going to walk out of that situation with a bad result? Well, I think it's pretty obvious. Okay. Now, this is where I might get in trouble. Emotions make you weak. Now, the reason why I say it may get me in trouble is because a lot of people talk about mental health and how men hide their emotions and how you shouldn't hide your emotions and all of these different things. Now, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that you should be emotionless. You, we should all be emotion. Uh, we should all have emotions. We should all know what our emotions are. It's not being emotionless. It's using emotion less. That looks so good. Using emotion less. Okay. Now... This hit me when I was reading um, Samuel, Samuel 2, I think it is, um, Bible chapter, if you don't know, in Old Testament. So, the story of King Solomon's judgment. Now, if you know much about King Solomon, not the best bloke, um, relative of King David in Israel, crazy stories there. Anyways, 
in the biblical tale. No, it's not a tale. In the biblical story, King Solomon and two women claimed to... Sorry. In the story with King Solomon, there were two women who claimed to be the mother of a baby. King Solomon suggested cutting the baby in half to resolve the dispute. One woman readily agreed, while the other offered to give up her claim to save the child's life. Solomon recognized the true mother by her selfless, compassionate response. This story illustrates the wisdom of prioritizing the well-being of others over emotional reactions. Now, I, I didn't write that too well. I needed to give more context behind the full story. So I believe the full story is that the two mothers together were looking after the kids. Now, as one mother was asleep with the baby, the other mother was next to um, her. Now, the both of the mothers were mothering the babies. Now, one of those mothers' babies died. Now, whilst they were asleep, the one who was awake, the mother who was awake, switched the babies and went to King Solomon um, and they disputed over whose baby was who. Now, the mother, who, in this case, um, said and reacted to King Solomon in the most true way, where it was, no, don't do that. It obviously showed to King Solomon that that's the real mother because she cared. But the mother who had switched the babies would actually say, okay, no, we'll, we'll, we'll cut the baby in half. Now, okay, there's flaw in this um, story in terms of reaction and things like this, okay? It's, it's, a, it's a biblical story. Biblical stories are very difficult to interpret because... Um, cultural reasons and, and things in terms of, I mean even you I, a lot of people would hear the um the uh, essentially the words that we use in English today don't necessarily correlate to the same um power which they do back then so there's better ways of explaining it in English now but we're, we're using the words of the Old Testament so for example the the biblical quote that a rich man would fit it's harder for a rich man to fit through the eye. Uh, it's harder for a camel to go through the like hole in a needle than it is for a rich man to enter heaven. Um, that's actually back in the day. Um, the translation was actually, I think, like a, a knot to go through the head of a needle. Uh, but it translates weirdly, and well, it doesn't translate. It just correlates toward today to like a camel. Which I don't get the analogy at all. Oh, not, it's not an analogy, but I don't get the correlation directly. But that's that's what I mean by when when we talk about, for example, um, cutting the baby in half. Was it cutting the baby in half, or was it doing something? I don't know. Um, and also the response of the woman who agreed to cutting the baby in half. I think that's still a bit of a loss in itself. So. The main thing to take away from that is the person who showed, showed impulse to the situation, which was the mother who whose baby died and was okay with showing a false sense of emotion. It showed who's the right and wrong person was in the situation. Now, 
because that's a tough story to interpret, I have a better one, which is the Greek myth of Achilles. Now, um, Achilles is mentioned in the Iliad, which is the Greek mythology. Now, Achilles, which is the central character of the Iliad, is a Greek hero known for his exceptional strength and bravery. However, his fatal flaw, which we all know is the Achilles, I'm going to stop saying we all know, which we should know as the Achilles heel, unchecked rage and impulsive emotional reactions. The story of Achilles' rage is a powerful illustration of the consequences of allowing emotions to dominate one's decisions and actions. So background. The Trojan War in its ninth year and the Greeks are besieging the city of Troy. Achilles, the Greeks' greatest warrior, withdraws from the war due to a conflict with Agamemnon the Greek commander. When Achilles, close friend, uh, Patroclus, 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 I've watched the movie, um, Patroclus is killed by Hector, the Trojan prince, Achilles, is consumed by grief and rage. The consequences, driven by anger and a desire for revenge, Achilles re-enters the battle, his emotions fuel the ferocious combat, and he goes on a killing spree, slaughtering Trojans without mercy. Now, all we see there is the ego, ignorance, and impulsivity of Achilles, who isn't seeing the future consequences or repercussions for his uh, actions and consequences. So, in his pursuit of Hector, Achilles forsakes all strategic consideration. He chases Hector around the walls of Troy, ignoring the pleas of the their gods and the warnings of the, of his mother, Thetis. Bit of a strange man. Achilles eventually confronts Hector in a single combat and kills him in a brutal, vengeful manner. However, this victory does little to assuage his grief over Patroclus. I've got to learn how to say the name. Patroclus. Patroclus' death. The lessons. Achilles' unchecked rage and emotional turmoil led to a series of events that ultimately prolonged the war and resulted in more suffering death. So because of his ego, because of his uh, ignorance, because of his lack of perspective and things like that, it led to a much more prolonged war. His inability to control his emotions blinds him to the strategic aspects of warfare. He is so consumed by grief and anger that he disregards the, con- the counsel of wiser figures and their gods. Not that they held any uh, trajectory or power, but whatever. Uh, the tragedy of Achilles serves as a cautionary tale about the destructive power of unbridled emotions. It illustrates how aligning anger and vengeance to guide one's actions can lead to unintended and tragic consequences. Now, of course, these are very extreme cases, and, you know, I wouldn't say this Iliad is the most most uh, true replication of what happened. I don't know. You don't know. Um... So, take it with a grain of salt, but the lesson is is that impulse often drives unforeseen circumstances because you don't necessarily take in all of the possible outcomes afterwards. Okay. Key takeaways. Now, this has been a good episode, I think. It's been long. But the key takeaways here is understanding the nature of emotions. Emotions are a natural part of the human experience, okay? They provide valuable information about how our internal state can guide our actions, okay? Acknowledging and understanding your emotions is the first step to emotional control. So take the time to identify what you're feeling and why. 
Now, the action point for self-awareness. Practice self-awareness by regularly checking in with your emotions. Journaling can be a helpful tool for this, as mentioned. Write down what you're feeling, how you're feeling it, how it came. Re- uh, what did I say before? Engineering. Uh, reverse engineering. Any situation with triggers that may have caused these emotions. Key takeaway two. The power of emotional intelligence, which is EQ, is the ability to recognize, understand, manage, and use emotions effectively. It plays a crucial role in the emotional control. Research shows that individuals with high EQ tend to have better relationships, make more informed decisions, and handle stress more effectively, as we've discussed. Action, okay? Work on enhancing your EQ by practicing empathy, active listening, effective communication, Maybe consider reading books or taking courses on emotional intelligence to deepen your understanding. Another takeaway, emotional, sorry, emotion drivers driven versus rational decisions. Emotional control doesn't mean suppressing emotions. It means making conscious choices about how to respond to them. That should get me out of a lot of trouble for the controversial things that I've possibly said. I'll say it again. Emotional control doesn't mean suppressing emotions. It means making conscious choices about how to respond to them. Research and real-world examples demonstrate that decisions made in the heat of strong emotions can often lead to regrettable outcomes. The last action point. Practice emotional regulation. Develop strategies for emotional regulation such as mindfulness, deep breathing, cognitive uh, reappraisal, reappraisal gosh to help you respond more rationally to intense emotions before making significant decisions especially those with long-term consequences take a pause allow your emotions to settle and and consider the situations for a more objective standpoint okay hopefully i've got you thinking there uh eq is a very very difficult thing to start to become aware of because it you have to have a high degree of humility there because um for example achilles he had no humility there because he just didn't want to even consider being humble or it's not even it's not even necessarily humility in that actually it's, it's considering the repercussions I'm sorry that was sir should be um it's considering the repercussions for your actions and not just for others, although that's important. It's also the repercussions on yourself, right? That's where I started to feel a lot of um, awareness when I started to regret the actions that I took and I re- reversed, reverse engineered where that came from. I was able to see its impulse. Okay, how do I not have these impulsive moments? I have more emotional uh, control regulation. Now, I didn't use those words at the time. I didn't necessarily know what that was, but I I was able to start getting creative and stop feeling regret. Anyways, guys, I hope that you've learned something or taken away something good here. Um, I hope that wasn't too boring for you. And I hope that you can share this with someone if they need this. Um, Guys, please share the podcast. Please grow the podcast. We're doing so much more now. There's so many exciting things coming with Sculpted. The Sculpted app is coming along and the Kickstarter campaign is looking good at the moment. I am hoping to finalize that and get that out as soon as possible. And just working on a few legal stuff at the moment. Um, I'm not a business person necessarily. I'm a foot- well, I play football. Um, but I'm working on Sculpted. I want Sculpted to be massive. 
got big plans. I got big plans. So guys, please do what you can to help us grow. And um, thank you for listening to today's episode. I'll catch you later.